0: Everybody, as always, I'm glad you could join us. I'm Jim Boge, and you're listening to Music in My Shoes. I'm thrilled to be here and having Vic Thrill kicking off Episode 5. We appreciate the comments that we've received from previous episodes. If you would like to reach out to us, you can now email us at musicinmyshoes at gmail.com. Again, that's musicinmyshoes. No spaces at gmail.com. Hey Jimmy. Oh wait, wait. I'm not just gonna call you Jimmy. Show producer Jimmy, how are you today?
1: Hey, I'm good. How you doing? Boj? I'm doing
0: Oh, I like that. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. Hey, um I don't know if you saw now I don't know anything about 30 seconds tomorrow. Mars. let's just put that right out on the table. No. I just know that Jared Leto, he does some um, acting, I've seen him in a couple of movies, thought that he did a good job. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the music. But what I do know, he just recently became the first person to legally climb the outside of the Empire State Building located in New York City. And the reason he did this was to promote the 2024 30 Seconds to Mars tour. Now, again, I told you he's in the band. He does lead vocals. He does guitar. I don't know anything about them. I I, I keep saying that. But the fact that somebody actually went to scale the Empire State Building.
1: Yeah, that's what it takes to get somebody to go to see 30 Seconds to Mars.
0: Is that what it takes? (laughs) I think so. Well, it's good to know. In all honesty, I mean, it's worked from the standpoint of the publicity. I'm talking about it today. I would not be talking about 30 seconds to Mars if he had not done this. That's true. Um I'm glad he made it. He started at, at floor eighty-six and he ended up going to about thirteen hundred feet above the ground. I think that is insane. Yeah. I, I do. Now he was strapped up. You know, he's from what I read, he's done other things. I think he did something in Berlin um recently, a few months ago. And he's done some things where he wasn't fully strapped, but I guess in New York City, there were laws that you have to actually, you know, abide by, and he did that.
1: Thankfully, yeah.
0: More power to him. I'm not about to do that. Oh, I'm not God. even sure I want to get at the top of a 10-foot ladder.
1: No, I, I cleaned my gutters about 10 years ago, and I'm like, I'm never doing this again. I'm not getting up two stories and risking breaking my who knows what. I
0: I agree. I agree with you. So the other day on my Facebook memories pops up a post from November 2010. It says, I'm listening to a cassette that I made in August 1984 from records that Mary Beth Brown let me borrow. So she's getting ready to go away to college. She asked me if I could make some tapes for her so she can listen to them while she's away at school. And I take these tapes, uh, excuse me, I take these records and I make the tapes out of them. And as I'm recording them, one of them happens to be Elton John Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. And one of the songs that I heard that I did not know before was this song Harmony, and it is just an absolute fantastic song. From the first time I heard it back in August of 1984 to this day, I still love that song Harmony. The album is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's got a ton of hits. It's got a ton of songs that aren't hits that I think are great, and the hits most people know are going to be Candle in the Wind Benny and the Jets, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, and then the songs that aren't necessarily hits but that I think are great are the opening song, Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, I've Seen That Movie Too, Sweet Painted Lady, and The Ballad of Danny Bailey. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on Yellow Brick Road?
1: Well, I probably know the hits better. You know, I'm not like a deep-cut Elton person but man what a start to that record so it comes out you know with funeral for a friend love lies bleed and, and goes right into i think candle in the wind and then benny and the jets
0: yeah I, you know
1: and it's like that's all of side 1 of the record when it was on vinyl like that's that's it it was basically four huge songs and and then side b of the four side you know of the double record starts out with the song Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. So it's like he he put all the hits up front, and then Saturday Night uh, It's All Right for Fighting is kind of buried on side four.
0: That is correct. And he really did. He did a great job with it. I, I love Funeral for, for a Friend. When that song starts, just the way it goes from all different levels. It, it honestly sounds like a funeral and then it starts to pick up and it gets jovial and it, it's all these different emotions in, in one, you know, one song, two songs that are just combined together. And
1: you know, one thing about that song, um, it starts out really quiet. It's like it has this really long fade up on it. And so it takes almost a minute for it to get up to full volume. That they they're just they were having fun in the studio.
0: Yeah, and, and along with that, I think that I can remember myself when I initially started listening to it, having the volume way too loud because <laughs> oh, that's I what was, they want. That's yeah. what they want because of the fact that you're right. It does start out low, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, I'm going to blow my speakers now. I got to you know lower <laughs> back a little bit.
1: So nice sound effect.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, and that sound effect was natural. There was no uh technology, no, no I'm, computers. I'm that was that was the real thing. Speaking of real thing, I'm actually wearing an Elton John concert shirt right now. I did see Elton I've seen Elton John many many times in many different places uh and different cities. But the one I have on now is from the Nassau Coliseum. Back in April, no, no, I take that back, back in March of 2022, it was the last show that he played in New York on what they call This Farewell Tour. If I remember correctly, he did a farewell tour in 1984, I think it was, (laughs) that I think I actually recorded on cassette, Um, but... You know, everybody can do whatever they want, I guess. He put
1: out a Greatest Hits in 1974, four years after his first record. Now, granted, he had a whole album to fill up with Greatest Hits, but, you know, he tends to do things early and then late and then
0: both. Hey, you know, you have to do what you have to do. But, you know, one of the things I will say about, you know, this album is that there's a song on here that my youngest daughter and I, for some reason, we've bonded over the song, and it is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And many times when we travel or we, you know, we go to different places and you can request a song, you know, we've done that. And that's kind of something that bonds us. And I think that's fantastic to be able to do that with a a child and them not just listening to the music of today, if I can can (laughs) call it that, um, but that they also, you know, all my children really do like classic music as well. And when I talk about this album, just hearing that song, you know, when, when Elton played it in concert and her and I had gone, you know, she immediately was like, you know, hey, it's our song, oh, you know? that's so cool. And it, it is. It's a, it's a really good feeling. We, um, that we, we saw him in 2018 at the beginning of the Farewell Tour, because remember the Farewell Tour was split, Due to um, the COVID, you know, they had to stop all the shows and so forth. So in 2018, we actually saw him in uh, Atlanta at State Farm. And then I got to see him in 2022. I actually took my mother in 2022 to go see Elton John at the Nassau Coliseum up in New York. So pretty good times. Pretty good band that Elton has, um, you know, kept together for the majority of time.
1: Oh, man, Davy Johnstone.
0: Yeah, and Ray Cooper doing all of that percussion stuff that that he'll do. I mean, just... Nigel Olsen. Nigel, yeah. I mean, great. I've seen Elton with Billy Joel. I've really seen him a lot. I actually saw him in 1988 at Madison Square Garden, um, and he just was fantastic. That was not really a... A strong point of his career, he didn't have really any hits or anything, but it was still just an amazing show. He just did so well, Uh, and he had uh, Billy Joel come out and they sang Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds together. That's fun. So let me move on a little bit here. I don't know if you've seen this in the news, but Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love's daughter Frances Bean married Tony Hawk's son. So now you're saying, who's Tony Hawk? Okay, skateboard dude. The skateboard dude. You're a hundred percent correct. So I don't know if you heard, but officiating the service was Michael Stipe of REM. Just right. this really crazy group, you know, of people to get together. But that's what love and that's what marriage uh, can do for you, you know. Again, Francis Bean Cobain, Tony Hawk's son, I think his name is Riley, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Michael Stipe, he does the officiating of it. So it reminds me of the story, took place back in 2007, 2008. I was living in Atlanta, but commuting to Los Angeles for months at a time for work. I'd fly out first thing on Monday from Atlanta, and then I'd leave Los Angeles on Friday around 3 p.m. and get in about midnight or so by the time I would actually get home. One day, I go shopping in Kohl's out in the Hermosa Beach area, and I see a pair of Tony Hawk shoes on sale. So they're brown. They're like a chocolate milk brown, and then there's another part of it that's a little bit darker brown. And I decide I have to have them. I love them. I think they look so cool. So I buy them. A few days later, some of the other people that were traveling with me, um, due to work, you know, we flew in from different places. We'd work out in L.A. for a long period of time. We decide to go get dinner right out on Hermosa Beach. And we decide to walk from our our hotel. And as we're walking from our hotel to the beach, we pass a skate park. Okay? As we pass the skate park, I'm looking. Everyone's looking. You know, they're watching these dudes do all kinds of cool things. One of the skaters yells out, look at the old guy in the Tony Hawk's. (laughs) they saw the tony hawks on my feet and in front of my boss and my peers all pointed out that the old guy was wearing the tony hawks and it was just a funny story i don't even know how they could see from that far away that's impressive but they they must have had hawk eyes to be able to see that (laughs) that was insane but that was, uh, it was a fun memory. I wore those things out until literally the bottoms were wore out and I could not wear them anymore. So why don't we stay with the theme? We just talked about R.E.M., Michael Stipe. Happens to be November 7th, 1988 is the uh, anniversary of Green coming out by R.E.M. So, Jimmy, thoughts on Green,
1: yeah, I, I love REM, and that was uh, you know an album that came out when I was I was living in Athens, where REM's from. I was in college at that point, and uh, it's really a good record. It's kind of a different record for them. It's when Michael Stipe started kind of singing louder, like he does now. You know, does did later Pronunciating words. Yeah, pronouncing <laughs> pronunciating. instead of just kind of uh, you know they they said early on in the live shows, he would kind of hide in the corner and curl up and mumble and stuff, and he definitely found his persona by Green.
0: So, along those lines, to me, they kind of lost the college band sound, and actually, it was full of rock songs. I mean, Green, to me, it's almost made for arenas. That's the way that I look at it. I think that the albums before weren't necessarily made to be played out in arenas, but I really think that Green is... Yeah, I good mean, point. you got pop song '89, Get Up, Stand, Stand. I love because I think that the guitar solo is like this, you know, psychedelic feeling. Like it's just really cool, and I I really enjoyed it. You know, World Leader, Pretend, Orange Crush, and then there's two songs that I think that would actually fit on Monster, which I think came out in '94. But uh, I remember California, and Turn You Inside Out, I really think that when you listen to the guitar, that they were precursors to what was to come a monster. Mm -hmm. And, And both really good songs. The seriousness of the albums before didn't seem to be on this album. It seemed like a lot more fun. And like you're saying, you know, singing louder, I think maybe he was... Enjoying himself a little bit more. I mean, I'm not trying it to be in his mind, yeah. but it's just the way that it kind of came across. So in '82, I saw them in 1982 play. They had been playing clubs, small places, not a lot of people that could go into them. You know, whether it was the Peppermint Lounge or whether it was Toad's Place in New Haven. I think. Uh, You know, they weren't even up to the Fox Theater in Atlanta yet. They were still much smaller than that. I actually saw them at an arena show that took place November 24th, 1982. And it was R.E.M. who opened up for the English Beat who opened up for Squeeze. Wow. Fantastic show. Really, really good show. I actually saw R.E.M. on their first stadium show, as a matter of fact, in 1983, which we talked about a few episodes ago when we talked about the police live. And again, that was in uh, August of 83, and that's when REM played with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and the police. By then, they were starting to play the Fox Theater. They were playing bigger places, but Shea Stadium, 50,000 people, and the Fox, you know, what is that, 6,000 people? You know, Maybe. Yeah. It, it, It's a huge, huge difference uh, in... How you project yourself? Have you seen them?
1: Yeah, I've seen REM a bunch of times. I, I saw them all through the the eighties. So uh, I think the first time I saw them was at the Fox Theater, though. So I think I think it was on the Life's Rich Pageant tour. No, it couldn't have been that. It was it was uh, the Fables tour because I have a little story. I was in Athens visiting my brother who was in school at the time, and a friend came by where we were. We were playing that that hockey game. You remember the like arcade game hockey that was USA versus Russia? Yes. And we were playing that, and the guy was like, Go over to the Uptown Lounge right now. And we're like, We're in the middle of this hockey game or whatever. And so 30 minutes later, we go over to the Uptown Lounge. Well, it sold out because REM was playing a surprise show with their new album, which at the time was going to be Life's Rich Pageant, so we stood outside, and it actually had like glass walls right behind the stage that you could stand behind, so we could hear it from outside. And stood out there and listened to the REM record that was going to come out three months later, or whatever.
0: That sounds pretty cool. But then I
1: ended up seeing them on that that tour, so I saw them every every incarnation from then through through the '80s, and I always loved them.
0: I did not see them after 83. I did not see them again until 1995. They played at the Omni for the Monster Tour. They played three nights. I went to two of the nights. Uh, they had Luscious Jackson open up for them, which I love. That's a band that the Beastie Boys had signed uh, many moons ago. I think one of the the drummer might have originally been part of the Beastie Boys, but they you know, were like, hey, we're the Beastie Boys, and she went with Luscious Jackson. But what two shows that couldn't have been any better than what they were? I think Monster is a fantastic album. That's another episode to talk about. But that 95 tour really was a fun tour to go to, and that was at the Omni in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So let's move on because that's what we do here. We're about entertaining. We are trying to, you know, as we say... Hope that you learn something new or remember something old. So, Jimmy, do you know what the best-selling 12-inch song is of all time? I do not. Well, I'm going to tell you because I happen to know. Came out 40 years ago. I think it came out about March of 83. Blue Monday by New Order. And it was probably the first song I liked that had a drum machine on it. Like, that was not really my thing. But when that song starts and everything that goes into it, to me, it was finally like, hey, this is my music. This is not my parents' music. Like, we talk about a lot of classic rock and roll here. And those just stuff that my parents listen to, or my uncles or aunts listen to. But I feel like Blue Monday was one of those songs where it's like, this is mine, this is my time, this mm-hmm. is my people. Great song. Love that song. I've actually been listening to it a lot lately. Also listening to a new single by OMD. So OMD, you know, they've been around, believe it or not, since 1978. 45 years. I don't think most people would know that. But they got this catchy synth pop song that's come out called Bauhaus Staircase. And it reminds me of the early OMD with kind of like a modern touch to it. Have you heard the song?
1: I have, um, and it's cool, and i exposed to a new thing because I never knew OMD had good music. I, I only knew the hits in the 80s, ladies and, I, didn't, and gentlemen, I did not like them.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you heard that here first, so let me say this one more time, all right? We hope that you learn something new or remember something old, and I think one of the things with the show is that we can talk about things, and you might not like it. I get it, but hopefully you'll listen and be like, "Hey, maybe I'll give that a try." Let me see; I might like that. Show producer Jimmy over here has just admitted that he did not like OMD. I'm not surprised by that, but you know, liking the new song or at least, hey, it's not bad. I mean, I think that's yeah, uh, cool. you know, I think that's a beginning for all of us, and I think that's really what the show is all about. It's to talk about things that, you know, music from my shoes, my perspective. But to put that out there and give people an opportunity to say, hey, let me listen to that or let me watch that or, or whatever might come about from it. But putting things out there so people know. Because if you don't know, you're never going to do anything about it. You're never going to listen. You're never going to look it up. You're never going to be interested. So I appreciate that honesty, Jimmy. You're welcome. So while we're on the topic of things from long ago, you know, we started with um, Elton John, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road in the beginning of the show from 1973. I thought we'd talk about another album from 1973, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. The heartbeat begins. When I think of a concept album, this is what I think of. I love the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's, I love the Moody Blues' Days of Future Past, but they don't come close to Dark Side. Sgt. Pepper's is made about a fictitious band, alter ego, that allowed the Beatles to explore new ideas and break that beetle mold. Every note, every word, every sound effect all elevate Dark Side of the Moon to be the ultimate concept album in my opinion days of future past and dark side albums actually start off similar but on future past i feel the emphasis is on the orchestra that accompanies the band throughout the album whereas on dark side the emphasis is on like i said every note every word every sound effect flowing from one song to the next and to me, it's just kind of like a mind sound explosion for your head. And I almost want to say the sound quality is extremulous. And I know that's not even a word, but that's how awesome it is to me. The heartbeat continues. Jimmy, before I even go any further, your thoughts on Dark Side?
1: So, my brothers, I have brothers that were a few years older. And they had the 8-track, which I don't know if you ever rented Dark Side of the Moon, but I, my brothers had the 8-track.
0: And just for the little side story, the guy <laughs> now has a name. He's going to be called 8-track Johnny. 8-track Johnny. 8-track Johnny is the guy that we'll be talking about when we talk about 8-tracks. I did not. I actually got the record from him. I did not get the eight track from <laughs> okay, him.
1: <so> it does <laughs> fall yes, into the category. It does fall okay. into
0: the same person that uh, that we've talked about on the show many times before. So um, continue. So with
1: yeah, me. they had the eight track, and I remember listening to that one. I was I was a very little kid and just thinking, "Wow, this is this is really cool music."
0: Yeah, uh, I mean. And the quality of the sound was unbelievable. That's one of the things that really got me when I first heard it is that it was so much better than so many bands that I had listened to that it was like they went out of their way to make sure it was as perfect as perfect could be. Um, You know, the, the main songs, Breathe, Time, The Great Gig in the Sky... Money, Us and Them, Brain Damage, Eclipse. I mean, it's unbelievable just to listen to that all the way through. It's one of those albums that's really difficult just to listen to one song. Yeah. You really need to listen continuously to get the Yeah, to get the whole, you know, idea of what it's all about.
1: And the amazing thing to me about that record is that it's only a single album. I, you, you almost feel like it's such a journey. You go on this experience, and there's all these sound effects and changes in tone, and like it's like an epic, but it's all in, on just one vinyl record. It's a 44-minute album.
0: Yes, and I was going to say that. It is a lot shorter than you think. Mm-hmm. It is one album. You are correct. It's the 16th best-selling album in the U.S., but it's the fourth best-selling album of all time in the world. That's insane. Just insane. It came out in 1973. So, great gig in the sky. I don't know if you remember that. There's not actually a whole lot of words. There's some spoken words in the beginning, but then they have Claire Torrey, who came to uh, be a vocalist, and she didn't know what to do, and they kind of just told her, you know, Just sing your feelings. So she kind of sings, but it's not words, it's just all these sounds. And she got paid roughly $36 to do that. If my conversion from English pounds to American dollars is correct. She actually sued them and settled out of court in 2005 and now has her name on the credits as a, a... writer of the song which more power to her because without her doing that part richard wright's piano is not that good that you're like oh this is an awesome song it's when claire starts to sing
1: she was improvising she was writing yeah
0: yes and and fantastic and so they they only played the song with claire tory she only sang it live five times twice with pink floyd One of them in 1974. One of them in 1990 when they did their big Nebworth uh, concert in 1990. And then she did it three times with Roger Waters' solo. I was lucky enough to see her only U.S. performance of it back in August 26, 1987. She did it at Madison Square Garden. Did not know that she was going to be doing it. Roger Waters actually introduces her. The place goes crazy. She starts to sing. It was unbelievable. Now, I didn't know at the time that she doesn't sing with them. You know, I, I, you don't know. Back then, you didn't have the internet. You couldn't right. look things up. You only went by what a DJ would say, and that yes. was yeah. word of mouth. That was it. That was the Bible right there for you. But to find out that they've only done it five times whether it was Pink Floyd or Roger Waters' solo, and that I got to be actually at one of those was really, really cool, and I- I'm glad. It's been in my mind ever since that day in 1987. So to anyone that does not have Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, now they sell roughly about 9,000 copies a week. If you're not one of those 9,000 people, you should be one of those people to get it. Fantastic album.
1: Is it still on the charts? I remember for years when we were younger, it was like, it's been on the charts on the the Billboard 100 longer than any record ever, ever since it came out.
0: Yeah, it was was actually the Billboard 200, the album 200. It was on, and I want to say it ended up being something like 700-something weeks. The funny thing, I'm glad you brought that up, it was only number one, one week. Uh. One week was at number one. Yet it was on the Billboard Top 200 longer than any other album. hmm Makes no sense. I
1: guess like every time there was a new group of kids turning 13 or whatever, they're like, I got to get that record, you know? It's just like there's a constant draw.
0: I believe it. I do. And I've not done this, but I've heard that if you take The Wizard of Oz and if you take Dark Side of the Moon and you sync them up right at the beginning and you watch it, they all seem to make sense. Again, that's a future episode. Jimmy and I will sit and watch it, and we'll let you know how everything went. But I think that the fact that people would be like, hey, let's try this, is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, how did somebody figure that out? That was just, they, they probably had, it, had them both on, and then they're like,
0: this is magic. Yeah. I think that's how most things happen in life, yeah. is just like that. So, really, the album, it's about life, time, greed mental state and death fade out the heartbeat that's it for this episode of music in my shoes i'd like to thank jimmy guthrie owner of arcade 160 studios as well as our show producer and to vic thrill for our podcast music again if you want to contact us we are at musicinmyshoes at gmail.com i hope you learned something new or remembered something old take care